0: Welcome to the Truth Hoops podcast with myself, Max, and Shane. Yes, sir. And we are here to give you the truth about basketball. There's so many basketball lies out there.
1: Yeah, um, everybody's just lying. bunch of <laughs> liars out there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You're talking about the truth and only the truth. Yep. Well, yep. actually, with that, I got a little story time. I'd like to open up with a little story. It'll be quick and short. Um, when I was growing up, about sixth grade... That was when the two ball dribbling craze. First. Oh yeah, remember, remember that was... I, was.
1: I was so trash at two ball, dude. I still am really bad at it.
0: It was a craze, though. It was like I'm not even sure if people can understand it because I haven't seen anything since it. No, it, it's it really was a fad in the way a dance was a fad, or like you know how yep yep, yep. the whip and the nay nay, or whether it was, it was like, <laughs> you know crank it, soldier boy to even like the jerk came back and all these dance moves
1: the two ball dribbling
0: (laughs) had its own little moment in the sun more so than any other basketball thing i can even remember and Mm -hmm. i was at a youth basketball team and we did two ball dribbling till we were blue in the face and i could oh yeah do all the two ball stuff and I remember that was like somehow if you were elite ball handler you could do it and Right. bounce low one high one low and between the legs and I would just turn the rock over left and right if I was in an actual oh, game Oh yeah. I could
1: oh, yeah. it it you know when they would like they would do the crossovers like one would switch hands the other one would go through the legs and then one would I was so bad at that. I went to a camp like you're talking about, I went to a camp when I was young. And it was a two-hour camp. At least an hour of it was all two-ball up and down the floor. And I was like, dude, dad, I am trash at ball handling, apparently. But little did I know that that's not all that there is with ball handling. But yeah, you're right. There was a stretch. I don't know how long it was. It was like – I was probably in high school, so it was probably like four or five years of just two-ball ball ball handling was like the main thing when it came to work on your handles. I'm going to
0: put that out to the audience because I actually now – I didn't think about that before this podcast. I don't think outside of like maybe remember the jump soles that
1: you would wear? Oh my Michael? gosh. I don't with think the, you're talking about the shoes with the, like the horseshoe like thing at the tip of the foot. Yes. Oh, I saw somebody had those. I'd never seen them before and I saw somebody had those. I was like, "What are they look like space shoes." And I was like, this has to be so bad for so many reasons. I don't know. Maybe they work. I have no idea. Yeah, actually, you- there are some studies
0: out there that suggest an elevated heel might be of some use. But the point is, wow. to my to our audience, I don't think there's been a, a craze like mm. two ball dribbling. Maybe yeah. a mic and drill might be up there. with. But that's not really mm-hmm. a craze as much as it's an embedded foundation. There hasn't been something yeah. so radically new that captivated the audience. So- just let us know if you find anything, because I want to ask you, right. basketball heads out there, uh, if I'm missing something on that. Um, but with that in mind, I want to get to that, because I did the two-ball handling. I sucked at dribbling in sure. a game. I For could sure. do all the cool stuff. So you're a skills coach, obviously. If I were, yeah. say, uh, a young Max coming in, and I said, Shane, I want to yeah. get better at ball handling. But first, before I get better at ball handling, what is ball handling? How would you yeah. actually describe that to someone?
1: I would describe it more of uh, being able to match your movements with the ball. So being able to move your body up and down the floor with the ball. Now that doesn't mean all your ball handling drills have to be you moving up and down. I think there's a lot of good stationary drills you can do. Um, But to me, the best ball handlers have the best footwork and then their timing of their dribble matches with their footwork. Um, So there's something we call, in, in basketball or in the training world, uh, your dribble step timing. So if, if I was dribbling with my right hand going to the right, I would match that dribble when it hits the floor as best as I can with my left foot or my opposite foot. So rarely, you know, outside of some situations would I dribble with the same side foot, right. And I'm definitely not going to take dribbles on both steps. Um, so a lot of what I do is dribble timing. And if I can get correct dribble timing, then I can get to stops. I can get to change the directions. I can get to pull-ups. Um, I can really do anything off the back I can get to different finishes. So a big part of being a good ball handler to me has a lot of foot control tied to it and has very good uh, dribble timing connected. Um, and then along with just, you know, basic ball control of being able to like maneuver the ball around our body. I think that's also an important thing as well.
0: Okay. So what is the purpose of ball handling. I'm to ask you, you know, your your quick synopsis to some alien that landed and they're watching the game. And then what was, tell me the quick purpose of ball handling. What would you say the purpose is?
1: I think to me, it's just freedom, freedom to get to places on the floor that you would want to, whether that's, you know, running something or attacking or evading um, really any movement. I think it's just freedom um, to be able to do those things with a defender on us um, typically with the defender on us. Um, there are situations where there's nobody on our hips or in front of us and we have to do some sort of balling ball handling aspect. But to me, being a good ball handler gives you freedom. Um, and that's, it's something that even me as a player wasn't not a great ball handler. Right. And then, you know, in some situations I was better, right. With somebody's somebody who's on my hip, um, or somebody on my back, or if I'm coming off a pin down and I got to put the ball down, I was great in those situations. I think face-to-face ball handling, um, That aspect was probably a little bit more difficult for me. Um, So, t- to me, you know, being a good ball handler, it gives you freedom. So,
0: I'll ask myself the question. Yeah.
1: Cause
0: I, I'll, I'll tack it from I'm, I, I think of ball handling, if I was just to break it down the best I could, would be two areas. One is ball security. Can I yep. not have the ball physically taken away from me and get right. to a certain point on the court? with that ball. But the purpose of getting to that point on the court has nothing to do with openness. It's merely, can I get to a spot? So someone like Jokic would be considered a high ball security dribbler. He's not mm-hmm. dribbling the ball. And as a big man, you say, don't dribble it. He dribbles it a lot. It doesn't get stolen. He's not doing the second thing, which, to say, which is a space creator or an openness creator, which is someone like Kyrie Allen Iverson, um, These classic ball, you know, great Jason Williams, J. Will, the the original elbow pass. These guys are great space creators with the ball. While they arguably are not, at least their highlights. You can go watch the game. They're not like the Nikola Jokic per se, where he's just ball security at the highest degree as a big man. Because again, if you look at just relative before anyone hops on my back and says, Hey Max, you're saying Jokic is somehow a better ball handler. Then <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Kyrie, the point of that statement is relative to his peers. He's an right. excellent ball security guy, not saying right. he's comparative to Kyrie, but he doesn't dribble the ball of his foot like some big men do. He's able yeah. to navigate. So how I, do you answer think that? Are there think, two areas? I think
1: that's important. Yeah, I think that's super important because you look at positional wise, like imagine like JJ Redick. For him to be a good ball handler in his position, he's not being asked to do much with the ball when it comes to actually putting the ball on the floor. But it comes to comes to more of your point where it's like ball security, right? So if I think about J.J. Redick, he was so good at coming off a pin down and literally just tossing the ball with his inside hand or outside hand into like this empty pocket of space to be able to get those mid-range shots up. So to me, that's a huge ball handling aspect is being able to – get yourself even a little bit more open or create more space. JJ's way of doing that is a little bit different than Kyrie. Right. Um, so, yeah, I think that's, I think that is a super important thing to think about is like positionally wise, what does it mean to be a good ball handler for, for you um, in your position?
0: I think most kids make the mistake of obsessive space creation with ball handling. For sure. That's, that's yeah. my immediate takeaway with the old man and mm-hmm. watching social media Is that an
1: overemphasis on a lot of drag stops and snatches and that stuff. Yep.
0: And in reality, I think the toughest thing about ball handling is being able to control the ball while physically being contacted. Yeah. And when it's not necessarily in space, you could argue sprinting and changing pace is difficult. Yep. But in reality, if you're in a dead sprint and the defenders in a dead sprint, you could more times than not keep it in one hand and make one change of direction move and be a Okay. You don't mm-hmm. need to do the crazy stuff. You might see Darius Garland do where he's like dead sprint and make For three sure. left to right moves. But sure. when it comes to younger kids, it seems like anytime they get physical with a the movement, they lose the ball. And so how would I train to work on that? If I'm uh, a younger athlete, a, I,
1: you know what? I have this drill that we've been doing, uh, more recently, especially, and it's, basically engaging your offhand. So like, imagine I'm doing ball handling. Let's say I was even getting to like a dribble stop, like an under drag that would go underneath my leg with, with nobody guarding me. My offhand can prepare for the ball to just, you know, I can receive the ball from my right hand to my left hand very easily. But in a game, like I'm like almost like pushing off like a chicken wing, right with my defender. So this left hand is nowhere close to near where the ball needs to be received. So we've been doing this offhand, like, uh, it's kind of like a tap drill, right? We'll, we'll, we'll have some sort of accountability to like a chair or a cone or something where we cross the ball over and then we have to give anywhere from one to three taps on a chair. And then we're able to exchange, um, immediately after. So basically what we're trying to do is engage the offhand have the offhand be doing something different than the ball hand, right? Typically the ball hand is like letting the ball float in that situation. So that's one thing that we do. Um, We do a lot of chair touches, to be honest, is like, you know, get to a dribble stop. And when we're stopped in a low position, our offhand is touching that chair and then we pull the ball back and then it's able to receive the ball. Just, I guess, trying to get that, that ball uh or that offhand i guess active before just kind of sitting there and waiting for the ball to happen like a one-on-one situation is the Um,
0: offhand receiving the ball is the offhand doing like a hand play where you're warding off the defense
1: yeah it could do both i think um the offhand in those situations probably about to receive the ball so we're having that offhand be busy while the ball is ready to go underneath our leg the offhand is still busy and then basically at that last second is when that offhand is able to remove itself from the chair or from whatever tool we're using to receive it. So instead of just having hand to hand right next to each other, um, we kind of get that one active. That's, I think that's one way, but again, um, just your ability to let the ball float and then go quick, 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 that, that alone, that skill alone, be able to go slow. What does that mean? What's a float up? quick, 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 describe that
0: in a so more like, succinct term.
1: Yeah. 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 So like, Imagine, um, like a sequence could be like, uh, let's say I'm standing in a stationary position and I'm going cross between behind. Maybe that's my flow cross between behind continuous. I would say, okay, we're going to go cross, and then I'm going to put a chair in front of you. And you're going to tap that chair three times. And then after you tap three times, you're allowed to go between behind those between the high behind are going to be very quick. And then immediately when you go across again, it's slow. And then it's those three taps and then it's between behind. So we're changing the pace of how we're dribbling. And then we're also changing the height because in order for me to to let that ball uh, come out and in order for me to tap the chair long enough, I'm going to have to let the ball float. I don't have a choice. So the ball is going to hit the floor. I'm going to carry it, something like that. So being able to, uh, I guess, let the ball float in your hand and almost spin in my hand right? And be engaged with a defender and then go into another dribble, I think is a pretty underrated skill when it comes to handle stuff. Um, something that you can do in a stationary setting. Um, obviously I don't, I think that helps, but it's not the, you know, it's not going to be the exact same feeling as if somebody's actually pushing on you. Right. And you're trying to go somewhere and you're also trying to read the floor. So, so if
0: you had to, then in the perfect of worlds where you don't have a stationary,
1: you have more than,
0: I guess, a stationary setting, how would you train that physicality part?
1: Oh man, Um, there's a drill that we do. Uh, So basically imagine me standing underneath the hoop and I have a uh, offensive player at the top of the key and maybe I give them a restricted area that they're allowed to play in, right? Like a box or some sort of lines. And then I have their defender on them applying as much ball pressure as possible without completely hacking the player. They can just go at them. And I basically tell the ball handler, like, hey, it's going to be three to five seconds. And then I'm going to be underneath the hoop pointing either left or right. And that's the side of the hoop that I need you to score on. So now the ball handler has to keep the handle going. He can play in a little bit of space. He's dealing with contact, but he also has to kind of keep your eyes up and read the floor because as soon as I point, that's the side of the hoop I need you to score on. Now, the other aspect with that is let's say I point to the right side of the rim and he's like, okay, I got to finish on the right side. That doesn't mean that you just go to the right side immediately. Maybe you set them up. Maybe I float to the left, maybe a heart attack left and then I can spin back to the right. Um, Cause the defense doesn't know his back is turned to me. He has no idea if I'm pointing left or right. He doesn't even know when. So that's, that's a, like a, a nice little ball pressure drill that I like is, is uh, have a coach underneath the, underneath the hoop, have the offensive player deal with that ball pressure for three to five seconds, give them an angle and see if they can one handle the pressure, but then also, you know, uh, set up their angles in order to score on that side of the rim.
0: Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. Um, one of the things I noticed, when I played AJ one-on-one, yeah. AJ green with the bucks is how physical of yeah. a ball handler. He is a lot of like the, the PNR pick and roll setup stuff using his body. You have to really put your shoulder and hip in a position to ward off the defense Yeah, and using the defense's reaction to that, to create your next option. Sure. So, so do you think a lot of kids often? Oh man, just I,
1: I feel like there's a bad stigma with the with the old like they call it like the old man dribble, where you kind of like just stick your left your foot in there and then you put the ball on your back hip and you keep your head over your shoulder. I feel like there's something you know kids don't like that because t- like the drill that I explained to you, typically the first you know handful of kids before we call a timeout, they're all gonna over dribble, right? And they just start dribbling immediately. So if I say okay, drills live. Every single kid will put the ball on the floor. Nobody's gonna stand there and triple threat and just pivot first. Nobody's going to do any of that. Nobody's gonna, you know, they're over dribble and they'll do too many exchanges hand to hand. Um, so when you talking about AJ, that obviously it sounds like he's you know able to be a little bit more physical and probably has learned to like, hey, I can just I don't have to dribble so much and I I can actually keep this simple. So in in for me too, like if I think about somebody's pressuring me me knowing that my hand-to-hand exchanges and my shiftiness isn't crazy, I'm probably going to be like, you know, using my body more in that situation.
0: It's interesting because Jordan Delp, who he works with, I go to their skills. Yes. And like when they're doing the ball screen work, how physical that initial exchange, that initial exchange at the ball screen is that emphasis is placed. Sure. And then <clears throat> often of that is where you kind of move. So when I talked to age about it, it was like the idea of this asymmetry principle. Mm -hmm. And essentially what you're trying to do is for every inch you move, you want the defender to move three, you want an asymmetry. And with our physical abilities, the more athletic we are, the smaller of an asymmetry you can operate with. Like Ja Morant can probably operate at even. He takes one step, you take one step. Yeah, if you're even, he's leaving. He's that much faster than you. So if you think about the difference between how much the defender moves relative to the offensive player, that difference is essentially the window. So if I get the defender to move three inches and I move one inch, I have a two inch window to operate. Now I have space and leverage.
1: Sure.
0: And I think a lot of athletes think of ball handling and space creating in terms of how much can I move? Hmm. Not in relative terms of how much can I make the defense move, and sure. when you think about how much you can make the defense move, no longer is it just about a ball handling move, but it's also a positional. So a bump, yeah, like Luka Doncic creates absurd amounts of asymmetry with a bump. He'll hit you, and you're off four, five, six inches. And too often people think, oh, it's only like the Luka Doncic. Let's throw out Luca. I mean, Allen Averson, crazy crossover, something like Kyrie does. And that's great, but at the same time, those guys are stupid quick. Mm -hmm. And so if they can even get you to match one-to-one, and you think as a defender, as a defender, odds are they're not as quick as Kyrie. And so they're Mm -hmm. thinking, I'm going to overcommit, or I have to move to my point fast, because he's getting to A to B so quick. If I don't get to B, he's going to be by me. Right. And so they're creating leverage in the same way a shooter creates leverage when someone closes out way too aggressive on you because you're a shooter. And I've always wondered if the if we could start to break down and like deconstruct ball handling from an actual analytical model. Because I get so frustrated at times when I hear announcers or I see whatever happening, and people always kind of bucket ball handling as this nebulous yeah. concept. Like, oh, we're going to dribble around. But then you watch guys succeed and they succeed and create space in so many different ways that there's these subcategories of space creation. And I think they're kind of dictated by like that asymmetry I mentioned and your yeah. physical ability to use that asymmetry, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense.
0: So I was one, I've always wondered if we could as a, you know, sports scientists slash skills coaches kind of sit down sure. and begin to map out what makes those things possible. Cause I don't think the same handling move that works for, you know, Kyrie makes any sense for Steph Curry. Right. Because Steph, if you watch all Steph Curry's handling, it's a constant search for a shot pocket. Mm. It looks sloppy. The ball's yeah. kind of like being thrown everywhere. <laughs> right. And his <laughs>
1: feet are always tapping in different areas. It's like
0: right? not a, it's like the best worst ball handler ever. And basically, mm-hmm. he's kind of just throwing it, and you are so afraid of his shots that no one's daring yeah. to reach. And he Nobody's actually dribbles it
1: tight like that, yeah,
0: pretty high. Like the ball's pretty high because he can just at any moment just grab it and shoot it, right? Versus someone like Kyrie is such a low dribble, low gather, low to high gather. But his fear is his ability to his ridiculous finishing ability. Mm. And so, if it looks at getting an athlete better, I think it's really important to understand. How they create leverage, like right. what is is their biggest weapon to create that advantage? Some guys might be physical mass, like you've played in the old man leagues against the dude who's too wide to get around, right? And he's like, You can't steal the ball from him because he's gigantic. In one hip check, you're flying like four feet off, right? And so, I've always I, wondered if you've ever considered, or yeah, I've wondered about yeah. that. I wonder if you've ever considered something like that for sure,
1: for sure. And I think. There are some movements that we work on. Um, And one thing that we like to like pair a, like a dribble bump with is kind of like a hip rotation. So after I bump somebody, I'm, I'm rotating my body um, and my shoulders to be able to go to cross and to shoot Um, basically just kind of falling into like a drop stance, right. Or a split stance. So I have that kind of that ball in the pocket. Now I'm a a threat to go either direction. So yeah, man, I think, I think uh, you know, ball handling as a whole, there's probably not a big enough focus on, um, I guess for lack of better terms, keeping things simple, right. Or, um, just creating those angles with your actual body. Right. And, uh, like you said, give an inch to get, you know, to get two inches, right. Or give an inch, make them move three inches. Now you have that window. Um, I don't think that's talked about. It's probably not, it's not even something that I'm probably talking about enough either when it comes to handles.
0: It's interesting from an evaluation standpoint. I've always pretend to be an assistant GM and I sit there and I wonder how people evaluate stuff. Cause if you watch someone dribble and you're like, Oh, is this person a good ball handler? How do you actually define that? What is a good, cause people just go straight to the highlights and they'll say, Oh, look at this guy, put a shifty move on. Oh, he's Mm. got a crazy bag. And then you look at him heated up one time under pressure
1: and turns the ball over
0: or he gets right. physical. There's
1: got to be some sort of efficiency tied to it, right? Like how easy do you get to your spots and how effective are you when you actually get to the spots that you're trying to get to? Um, it's hard to measure the space created though. You know what I mean? And and like you're saying, like having a bunch of moves is awesome, but being able to get your spots and actually be effective is, is better. So like me, I could I could easily be looked at as a very bad ball handler if somebody's like, here's a bunch of pressure, handle the ball with a live dribble on the floor, Shane. I need you to do these things. But if somebody just pitched me a pass, I'm not going to put the ball on the floor. I'm probably going to sell my shot. And then after I get an angle, right, then I'm going to jab and go. Now, when I drive downhill, I'm probably a much ball hand, better ball handler than I am face-to-face, kind of like we talked about before. Now I'm good at like dribbling into somebody and holding and tapping it low, right. Or bouncing out or stepping back. Um, To me, that's where I'm probably more comfortable. So I would grade myself probably in that situation. But again, like you're saying, we evaluate players. There's GMs talking about who's a good ball handler. And it's like, what does that even mean? How do you grade that? is,
0: Is Luka Doncic a great ball
1: handler? Yeah. If, if I, if the first answer for everybody is like Kyrie's the best ball handler, but like, which is true. He's a great ball handler, but like Luca doesn't move like Kyrie. So why would he dribble like Kyrie?
0: Kyrie's the most spectacular
1: ball handler. Sure. Like, well, and, Yeah. And Curry doesn't... moves different than all of them, like you just said. So how do you grade? I think it, it does. It has to have a lot to do with your body type and position and what's being asked of your, I guess, your role.
0: Yeah. And that's when you start to look at players on my end and someone comes to me and is like, I want to work on, you know, X, Y, and Z. And you, the great debate, <clears throat> to give an example of this, I'm going to take a step back into like Division Three world, is in Division Three basketball, your big men are never actually that big height-wise. Right. And they're never actually that athletic. And so you right. can have two options. The, the, I mean, if you look at, too, the best big, and this is a, a little bit off topic, but I promise you we'll, we'll round this out here. You can either try your best to make this big man more athletic or you can simply have this big man eat a lot of food and become forty pounds heavier, and probably mm-hmm. be much more difficult to deal with than right. however more athletic he could have ever gotten. And I firmly believe that because at that level, no one's that athletic, so athleticism isn't a huge issue, and so physicality becomes a big thing. You look at someone like Kenny Lofton Jr. is a, a, a hyper extreme example of this. People talk about, oh, is he athletic enough? Whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he doesn't athleticism isn't just how high you jump. His ability to move at his physical size is astounding. Right. And he's able to just leverage people out of the way. And so right. as a ball handler, if someone comes up to me that, hey, you know, I want to be a I want to do some training to become a better ball handler, what the physical aspects I need to do, well, you got to understand how that person actually handles the ball. Is that right. someone who has to leverage their body a lot? Because maybe getting stronger and having more physical mass in them would actually really help. And so sure. these guys who are caught kind of in the middle ground are the guys who are in a pickle, because you look at someone like Drew Holiday, great ball handler, but physically so strong. Oh, yeah. He's it like really a rock. And so yeah. he, you don't take the ball away from him because he turns his shoulder and you run into that. And <laughs> you're not yeah. getting through it. And Ja Morant is a good ball handler, but they're very different in how they handle the ball because Ja mm-hmm. Morant's ball handling skills – You're and same with Russell Westbrook in his prime. You're afraid he's going to run right by you. So you don't even bother to heat him up. You just like, "Ah, I'm not gonna get too close because you're just going to run by me. And so is he a good ball handler? I think so because he's successfully doing what he's trying to do. But unless you actually look at the, the goal of it as a whole, it's hard to determine whether or not someone actually, like what's the definition. We don't define it. We don't have any way to actually begin to measure it.
1: Well, I think the eye test for a lot of people is seeing the ball move hand to hand in a fast way, right? Like cross between behind, right? If somebody did that in a game and somebody fell for it instantly, our first thought is like, "Wow, he's he's got a nice handle." Um, but what kind of what we're talking about is and more importantly than that is how can you tie other aspects to it according to your size, position, role, everything like that. Um, how well you, can you execute that um, with the ball handling? I think is probably more important.
0: Because I've seen guys who can do all the cones they want, cross, cross, tween, tween, and just get ripped in
1: games. Mm -hmm.
0: They just are too open. They don't know how to guard the ball. I know guys who can't do cross, cross, between the legs, and you can't steal the ball from them.
1: Well, (laughs) the other thing too is like I think some of the best ball handlers have another skill that makes them very lethal. Like I think about Kyrie, his ability to stop and hit a pull up like fading away. Um, and then to be go be able to go downhill and then slam the brakes and change angles really quickly, that automatically is like very. If somebody's just going to dribble in front of me, I'd be like, go ahead, right? And, and if I they pose no threat to go by me or to slam the brakes, I'm like, yeah, please try to go to the rim. We'll see what happens, right? Okay. But, yeah, 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 yeah. But with with Kyrie, it's like I don't know what he might shoot a three. He might he might drive me downhill and get to all the rim. He might slam the brakes. Him, I have no idea. So there's a lot of like unpredictable like things going on there. Same thing with Luca, just different ways. And then same thing with Curry, like kind of how you talked about his ability to shoot makes him a good ball handler. If, if Curry couldn't shoot, he'd be ter- he'd probably be a really bad ball handler. It'd be probably a lot easier to get up into him and make him flustered and all those high dribbles would be even worse.
0: Oh, so we've entered a great question now. There we go. I'm really happy I got here. Does ball handling even exist? Is it something Ooh. that exists in isolation? I would actually argue. Ball handling does not exist in isolation, mm. it doesn't it exist. Something
1: it needs something else to go with it for in order to exist.
0: Yeah, I don't. It's like saying what's fast and fast sure. doesn't really exist. Like you could run the court fast if you can't drill the ball really well and you can't run as fast. with The that's ball, gotta be a really
1: fast? The, that's gotta be the title of the video right there. This ball, ball handling, handling exi- doesn't exist,
0: and I, I don't think it exists. I don't. So, think... do you
1: if if you don't think that, right? if that's kind of what you're thinking, what would you do to work on it? Or would you, or would you, would you try to develop those other skills? And then maybe that goes along with it.
0: I don't think ball handling exists in isolation. It's no, it's what we call an an emergent quality. It exists because you're doing something, but by itself, it doesn't exist. And the great example of the beginning was the two ball dribbling. I can do Mm. two ball dribbling and you wow, I'm actually a great ball. I suck at ball handling. I get ripped (laughs) all the time. And because I thought that's what dribbling was. And in reality, dribbling is a tool, like you said at the beginning, to get to mm. space. Yeah. And there's tool to get to space for openness to score mm. and tool to get to space for security. You're just going to operate yourself over there so you can set a play up. Mm-hmm. And ball handling itself is merely mm. a means to fit who you are and what you are. Sure. So if I can shoot really well, my threat of a handle exist because I shoot really well. Right. If I can't shoot or pass and I can just dribble the ball, I will never see the basketball court. I just, I'm a, you like this, like non-existent entity. I assume I can't pass at all. And right. I don't think ball handling by itself can ever be quantified. You can never point to someone and say they're a good ball handler. Cause I mm-hmm. dare anyone to look at any person across the board who doesn't shoot pass and they all they do is initiate an offense and call them a good ball handler right I, and even then you're leveraging your speed your quickness someone's ball handling is good because of something else that exists with it right i so agree if, and if you think, think work, about Yo-
1: think about Jokic too like you were talking about his uh, i don't know if it's court awareness vision i don't know how you'd categorize that piece to it but that to me makes him that type of good baller. And I think passing has a lot to do, goes into the ball handling a little bit. Um, being able to move the ball from one side of your body to another, throw it behind your head, have enough touch of the release of your fingers to hit him in the spot. Um, so, yeah, but if you put Jokic in some handle drills and tell him to go low, and the typical answer would be like, no, he's trash at ball handling. Um, but according to his position, he's great. Never doesn't turn the ball over when he dribbles too much, right? Has great passing all that stuff.
0: So I think that at the end of the story, we, at the end of the day, we can conclude that ball handling in isolation uh, take, isn't it's real. Not, it's not even real. It doesn't exist. I think maybe you could say there's like a limiting factor. Like you, obviously you yeah. can't dribble the ball off your foot. Like, like right. there's like some limiting ability. Can you actually dribble the basketball? But there's some yeah. argument that like magic Johnson didn't ever get it out
1: of his right hand. Dude. And, I watched magic highlights. I tweeted this. I actually tweeted his highlights. Because there's such a there's such an emphasis on being able to dribble with your left hand, which I somewhat understand and finish with your left hand. But I just think like I think about like left hand floaters. Why would you ever shoot a lefty floater? Why would you? And, and the kids kids toss those up, and I'm like, what? If you shoot a lefty floater, you're not open. I don't want to tell you there's got to be a better option than a left-handed floater. And if you can use your dominant hand for a high when we're competing, right? if I can have a higher percentage of making it with my dominant hand, why would I not? Why wouldn't I?
0: That I love that. And we can say, I want to say that for a different topic because I have a huge opinion on that, that sure. we, we shouldn't do that. But talking about the ball handling, he doesn't ever go left. Right. And, or James Harden only goes left. So right. is James Harden a bad ball handler? Cause he doesn't go right. No. Does Luka Doncic, Ever step back going right? I don't have ever seen him going right. Take a step back.
1: Step back with his left foot. He snatched backs yeah. going
0: right, and he step backs yeah. going left.
1: Yep. There's never a step
0: back going right. And so when you and he to- can't
1: be stopped, everybody probably knows that it's probably on every scouting report. But they, what are you going to do? Same with James hardy Don't let him go left. It's like, whoa, well, what are you going to do? And so Luca does one move,
0: step back left. He's open every time. So how is his handle getting him open? Yeah. No, it's the existence of these other things. And his handle yeah. his allows him to do other things. Yeah. And so it's it's so we've made up this lie that like as coaches and people have been to the system that ball handling is this thing that somehow exists, like at, at, in the way that a good shot can exist. because I do believe sure. there are sometimes in isolation a good shot. Someone who can shoot the ball can shoot the ball. Ball handling is one of those weird things that it's so variable based on who you are and what you do. It'd be the equivalent yeah. to saying, Someone's a good scorer, and you're like, well, does that mean JJ Reddick's not a good scorer in the NBA because he did he didn't shoot runners? The guy you can't leave him open, or Kyle corver wasn't a good scorer? Like it's this nebulous term that has no definition, which is why at the beginning I was trying to pry out some definition, like how do we think about this? Is it we're creating space to get a jump shot? Is it whatever? At the end of the day. I don't think we can answer it by any single definition. And if it has no definition, then it doesn't exist.
1: Right, right. I agree. I love it.
0: All right, we'll take a break. We have some questions from our uh, listeners. If you guys have questions for us, please let us know, by the way. Feel free to shoot us messages. Um, we'll put up questions out in the IG stories and whatnot. Yep. Um, so yep. we'll get take a break and we'll go some questions here right after. All right, we got one. <clears throat> I'll ask the first one here. From Milwaukee Bucks shooting guard, Hey, A-, A-, A. Green, avid listener of the podcast, friend of the show, our, mo-
1: our most famous listener
0: that we know of.
1: Yep, that Drake, we
0: know. Of. Maybe Drake's listening out there. Sorry, age. <laughs> Would you rather be highly skilled with hardly any physical abilities, mm. or super athletic with basically Ooh. no skills?
1: Oh, my God. I'll answer well, this th- first. Yeah, said, I'll go give ahead. you
0: time to think about this. Shane okay. didn't know this question ahead of time. I saw it earlier. <laughs> Looking back on it, because I've spent a career being on athletic, I think I
1: just want to be athletic.
0: Like one time in my life. <laughs> I don't really care the end result of basketball. You just want
1: stupid hops.
0: I would love to go play open gym and just dunk on people. Right. Is it that much to ask for? Oh, I've man. made so many threes in my. I just played. You might, you
1: might mess around and get to the league off of that, uh, Max.
0: I went not played pickup the other day and I made a lot of threes and it just brought me not much joy at all. Yeah. If I had one dunk, the electricity through my veins would have been palpable. People would have Dude. seen it. So I'm going to pick for the sake of my own.
1: Just entertainment. entertainment. Just to be uh, a. <laughs> just own to make, deficiencies. Get hype in a game.
0: I want to be super athletic. I would love by the way to not look athletic either. I don't yeah. want to look I want to be super athletic.
1: Just not look scrawny athletic legs. At all. Yeah.
0: And I want to show up in like a Star Wars shirt and like <laughs> jeans. Uh dude,
1: you have some of those shirts. You could you could just go right to the the dresser right now and pull some shirts out.
0: I could but I am 6'2" 220 unfortunately. I want to be yeah. like, you know, soaking yeah. wet 170. And like jeans with holes and mush Uh, basketball. What a
1: tough question. I don't know. I think if I was tall, I'd pick what you picked. Right. Like if I was going to be a center, we talked about this before too. Like NBA centers, what should their off season look like? Well, just stay healthy, get more athletic, uh, shoot free throws and hook shots and touch shots, and then go on home, you know? So if I was tall, I'm going with that one. I'm just going to be dumb, bouncy, all this stuff. Man, even if I was short, though, imagine you're short and you're like five eight, and you're just like dunking over people. That would be—you'd be famous instantly. I don't know, man. That's tough. That's tough. Uh, you gotta for answer a playing, it for a playing career with no athletic ability. I know I could probably you could play with either one. I'm picking skill. I'm just gonna pick skill. I'm picking <laughs> skill. It's, it's more fun to play with skill. If I could you're dribble so, more, so. This is I, such
0: a boring answer. The strength coach know. picks skills. <laughs> <laughs> the skills coach pick skills. Surprising.
1: That's hard though. That's hard. I don't know. I think I, I wish that.
0: if I could pass the ball better. I played against you, you could guy pass better, at Iowa State and pick up, and he was on athletic as on athletic gets. They didn't really have a handle, but would just throw dimes all day. It was so. Quirk, like quirky in his game it was like really syncopated and awkward but would just drop dimes and i watched that and i was like wow
1: that's actually a pretty cool career path to pick that looks fun
0: yeah i would do that
1: well i got some good ones i I, it's hard to, it's hard to pick um depending on how much time we have um i want to get your opinion on like three of these to be honest um this person's basically asking um do camps make you better, or just learn more? So I I want to kind of pick your brain, because um, I've done a ton of skill camps, and my and this is kind of even for my knowledge too. But I mean, there might be a bunch of coaches, and this is probably good for kids too. What is your viewpoint on camps, like a one day, two hour camp? What should be the mindset of the kid, the parent, or even what should me or another coach be trying to actually accomplish in that session? There's two levels to that because Max Max has not seen this has not there is the there's, there's a business the aspect to it sure which is
0: unfortunate
1: because for no sure. one
0: wants to go to a camp and play rotate defense for a day or no one wants right. to go to they want to do a camp that's fun
1: exactly and so that's a I, huge
0: beast and that's uh, that's just part of that's the nature of the beast that's the cost of doing business um if it's a perfect world as a camper you would go somewhere because you're seeking out information that you lack Mm -hmm. I want to be exposed to Shane because Shane's hosting a live action drill. I don't have a coach who teaches three on three here. I am a coach and want to learn. I'm a player who Mm -hmm. wants to learn and take us back. My friends with that in mind, maybe I'll go with a couple of my friends so they too can learn with me. I'm going to go and I'm going to try and get into all the drills I can. I'm going to take mental notes. I don't care about impressing anyone. And that's a big thing. To me, people try to impress people out of camp. You're not going to get a scholarship out of camp led no. by a trainer. Um, no. Go there. Learn as much as you can. Ask questions. Ask questions that are tough. Like, what are variations? And what can I do with one person? Ask selfish questions. Not questions that benefit the camp. You paid yeah. for it. Ask for it. <laughs> um, so I those love are, this those, answer. Those are some big things I I would really consider. If you are a parent taking a kid to a camp, Fun especially when a foster basketball, if it's a young athlete and they're not like say a 15 year old, who's really trying to take the next steps and understand professional athlete. Maybe who's trying to go learn from somebody. You're trying to foster enjoyment, go somewhere where they have fun. They have basketball games. They play, they Mm -hmm. play basketball tag. They have people that laugh and enjoy it, not yell at them. And they don't want to feel pressure to try and succeed, but instead find ways that they can, Enjoy the game in different paths, and so that's the parent perspective. Yep. The player perspective would be the um, you know information, knowledge, exposure. And the, yep. The coach or the trainer who's running it is know why you're putting the camp on because you don't want to do a little bit of everything to do a lot of nothing. You want to make mm. sure that if this is for fun and enjoyment, we're going to do that. It's very yeah. clearly for that reason. And if it's not for fun and enjoyment, it's very purposeful it's very clear that it's for that reason. And there's not a miss signals or communications or messages between people who show up and maybe right. you're expecting one thing or the Something other. Something else. Yeah. Um, And that's my biggest kind of talking point. For yeah, I
1: love, I love that answer. And I think that's, you know, as somebody that puts on a lot of camps, my, there's always a, a struggle too, because you never know. A lot of these kids are from small town kids and or from small towns and they don't get exposure to this. So My, always my first instinct and it always has been, and hearing you say that and hearing some other people talk about this, I like the idea of just showing them new things, kind of things that they're capable of, because I, me to like change the whole way that they play their game and the whole way they view the game. I don't know that I can do that like a two hour, I can have an impression and an impact on that, um, But just exposing them to like just different things, different ways to play, different styles, you know, different drills, different ways to dribble the ball, different ways to slow down and different finishes. Even like that to me is always a blast. Um, The hard part when you leave is like, dang, we didn't really get better at one specific thing. But again, I don't even know if that's possible. Right. In that one session. So I think that that's the struggle.
0: No way is anyone going to get better in a single session. Right. Um. And so, with that in mind, I went to some camps growing up. The ones that frustrated sure. me is when they would harp on specific moves, and yeah. they were so difficult that your time is spent frustrated versus mm. actually yeah. doing something. Because I think most kids understand
1: that's interesting. Yeah,
0: where to find a ball handling move? It's not even yeah. I growing up. I had Pistol Pete videos. Like right. I, I, would and never, I never went to a camp. Now. I never went to a camp. And it was like. I'd never seen that move
1: before. Yeah. yeah.
0: And so what's the point of drilling it? Now, maybe you did it in like a warm up, and you just said like a Simon Says kind of thing. I'm talking about kids who are 14 and younger. That's Mm -hmm. fun, enjoyable, have some creativity. I think where kids can really learn a lot from is being placed in different situations where they're also not pigeonholed because they're coming from a Mm -hmm. place where they are probably pigeonholed into something. And so if right. a kid comes in, like, I want to learn more about being a point guard or being a big man, whatever the heck they want to learn, that they have the option to do something that they otherwise couldn't get in their hometown.
1: Got it. Would you do that in a live situation, like a one on one, two on two, three and three type of thing? Or would you go through a set of you know movements with maybe some, um, I guess, decision making or freestyle aspect to it for the kids?
0: It, it depends on the size of the camp because right. the more micro you get smaller groups, mm-hmm. the more detailed you can get just based on the scalability of words. Yeah. I cannot give words to every single camper. If There's 150 campers here, right? You the scalability of out. my yeah. thought is too low. If I have eight campers, the scalability of my hot, hot my voice, my words is much higher. And so For sure. you start to think about scalability. And so, well, I can do micro stuff and maybe bring a camper over and show him a movement with his eight kids, with 15, 30 kids, 40 kids. It might have to be lenient towards we're going to do some macro movements. Everyone's going to do these movements micro, and then yeah. we're going to play in the grand scale. And I can't give anyone individual super attention. And parents, right. if you want the individual super attention, you got to pay for the individual super attention. Yep. And yeah. so, This gives you a flavor into it as a coach. Sometimes there's a sales pitch involved, you're the trainer. And so you might give a little bit of your own secret sauce that Hmm. you do with people as a teaser because you don't want this to be this generic camp because you might want to ultimately have someone say, well, what's the value Shane provides beyond just the average trainer? And so maybe one portion towards the end of the camp, you give a lenience towards that micro stuff that you might do. And so a parent might have interest to then purchase that. And so that's the business modeling of it. You don't want to put your teaser at the beginning. They'll forget it. You want to have them wanting more at the end, especially. It's hard at the beginning because everyone's excited and anxious and whatever. And you just want them to calm down. At the end, remember, the parents are typically there to pick them up if they didn't stay the whole day. And so that's a good time to showcase your uniqueness.
1: I love it, man. I like that answer a lot, and that's kind of where my mind, I to be honest with you, has always been set. And hearing again other people talk about that always helps. But you know what? We need the we need the people to like the video, comment below because if we can get Max and I could do a camp together, that would be fire, right? That's what that's what we need, man. Imagine, imagine some retired Hoopers have knowledge in both fields, be able to just like put something together. I think that would be a blast. That would be really fun.
0: I'd be about it. Comment yeah. and like, otherwise we won't do it. If you dislike, yeah, we're not going to do it. We're not going to host it.
1: Yeah, you're going to ruin kids' uh, potential careers.
0: All right, you got one more time. time for one more question here. Yes. Yep. You
1: got. You okay. You got a couple now. I'll let you yep, I do. On. I do. Okay. Golly. Uh, okay. How about can I can I throw two at you and you can decide?
0: All right. Well, dealer's choice.
1: I guess yeah, I'm the dealer go. in this case. So player's choice. Okay. One of them, best ways to train uh, from being a post to a point guard. So a little bit of like kind of like a positional change in how you would approach that. Um, and then the next one is, where is it? Is shooting efficiency attainable in practice and it slash a team setting, or does it require a, a lot of individual work and in how you would approach improving team e- shooting efficiency or just individual shooting efficiency?
0: So the first one's pretty easy. Okay. Play as a point guard. Go play go find places. Go play life. You yep. can play as a point guard. And yep. you might not be good at it, but you need to find places where you can. Playing younger, playing a different group, playing with people who don't know you. That's a great mm. one. They don't know you're not a point guard. Yeah. <laughs> just say you're a point guard. Just
1: just go try to run it. Yep.
0: And you'll be surprised at how not difficult that is. Um yeah. watch people who are point guards and understand your own deficiencies. So you can work on maybe sprinting with a basketball. You're not used to dribbling mm-hmm. and sprinting with it, looking up to make passes. I think people yeah. think if I'm going to be a point guard, that means I'm going to drive and call a pick and roll and throw an over a head pass. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. a point guard doesn't do much more than just make sure the, the entry pass is made and then it's Ryan, basketball. Running people on the
1: right spot, yeah.
0: yeah yep. So just go play basketball and realize how much different it's not than from any other position. And so that's the okay. answer to question number one. I like one. that one. And then question number two was, can you become a better shooter if you don't play live or can you become a shooter by yourself? And this is a an interesting area because I think if you drill, a lot of shooters have become very good shooters anecdotally, historically, observationally through practicing by yourself. It's just undeniable. There are a lot of shooters who have shot lots of hoops by themselves. You hear the classic stories of shooting in the barn and you know, whatever it mm-hmm. might be, being a very good shooter. Now, shooting is different. There's layers within it. Just to shoot lazy shots is one thing. A lot of those people also, you have great imagination. So you're shooting with urgency. You might not have the defenders, but if you imagine well enough, there are defenders there. And so you are practicing these shots that are game-like. And that's the most important thing. It's taking game-like shots. Now, whether the game-like shots occur by yourself or against actual opponents, odds are you can't actually get enough shots against opponents typically. Sure. So you're going to have to be by yourself um, and finding yeah. ways to have some level of accountability. How many shots yeah. can I make in a row? Something that applies some level of external pressure. It's not going to be the sure. same as a coach trying to pull you out of mm-hmm. a game if you miss it, but it's at least some pressure for accountability to make the shot. If you can do those, I think then we can under, because the idea is like we want to take a game shot. What is a game right. shot? That speed, yeah. That's speed. That's angle of pass. The biggest mistake people make by themselves is not working on spinning the ball from an angle. Self
1: passing is so difficult for players, man.
0: Turn left. It... Yeah. And catch it. My We had a big issue with it. I grew up. My dad wouldn't let me often flip it to myself. You'd flip it and catch like a kick out. And he's like, no one's going to pass you the ball. Always passing from
1: that angle. Yeah.
0: Catch it from the side. And so, again, it's understanding what a game shot is. Watch people shoot shots in games where the pass, is even little from. things
1: like that. Yep. Even things like that. It makes a world of difference. For sure. So, so, basically, what you're saying is, in, in, in this guy's question is, how do I increase um, shooting efficiency? Um, it can be done in both. If you're going to do it by yourself, there needs to be some sort of other factors that go in your drills other than just standing, catching, and shooting, lazy shots. Um, could be in a rows. It could be a little bit of variable, like spinning it in different spots or maybe some movement. Um, if you're going to do it in a team setting, the best way to do it is to make it more of like a game type um type of drill right driving kick situations three and three i think is great for getting realistic shots up mm-hmm. some sort of close out something like that
0: at the end of the day if you have a problem and you're trying to figure it out you have to define the problem you can't sure. just be like i want to be a good shooter well what is a good what shooter? does that mean like what okay. does it actually mean and i think we do a really horrendous job of this in basketball i think We just say, (laughs) being a good shooter is someone who makes shots. And you say, well, that's the case, I can go out there right now and probably make more set shots than some NBA players. But I'm not an NBA quality shooter. So is Mm -hmm. it just making shots or is it making a certain type of shot?
1: Mm
0: -hmm. And so you start to actually provide definition. And you could always counterpoint your definition with observation. It's someone who makes shots. Is it? Or is it someone who makes shots running off a pin down at, a very high mm-hmm. speed, like JJ Redick, because mm-hmm. you can clearly understand that my set shot is not the same as shooting a pin down, and right. so you begin to have definition. And then when you define what you're trying to achieve, you can look at the composite qualities. Oh, a shot involves a catch. It involves a speed. It involves maybe a fade away because the defender's closing out. And you can look at those qualities that you might not be as good at and start to practice those the same way that we mentioned ball handling and stuff, We got to define right. some things, people. If you want to really understand, like if you're building a rocket ship to go to the moon, you don't just say you got to go fast. There's a certain speed you have to go. There's a certain amount yeah. of fuel and load capacity and aerodynamics. There are quantifiable means and methods in basketball. We're just so lazy. You just like <laughs> stop. Oh yeah. You know, it's a good, good defender. Good big man. What does that mean? Yeah. Like, so frustrating. Cause it doesn't help yeah. the player coaches will say it all the time. Oh, that guy, that guy's an athlete. Okay. What does that mean? Oh, you know, he's fast. Okay. With the ball, without it. Like, what are you talking about?
1: Do you feel like, um, you know how, you know, in, in kind of your world there are tests that you can do to kind of give you data to realize like, this is the direction we need to go. Basketball. I There's not a lot of that. Right. And what's well,
0: just lazy?
1: Is it lazy? So I, I want to come up with something like that because like for an Sports example, science like...
0: is lazy too. I'll give you that. I'm, you say we have yeah. these tests and we're just, they're so general. How high do you sure. jump? Okay. Who cares how high you jump if you can't do that with a ball or sure. so sure. like, there has to be emergence of the two, the, the skills coach and the strength coach exist to help one purpose and only to help the mm-hmm. athlete be better at their sport. And yeah. so it always is derived from the sport and specifically what they're trying to accomplish. Someone who comes to me and says, hey, I want to be a better basketball player. Congratulations. Same with everyone else. You know, yeah. playing, <laughs> right. and what's going to make you a better basketball player? And then you begin to define it. You understand lacking physical qualities, lacking technical qualities, and how they can merge together. And there's certain things that I had proposed in the past to certain NBA teams. And you know, a lifetime mm. ago, I was had the opportunity to potentially work in some teams and I yeah. turned it down. Um, but you can do clever things. You can do certain things where you look at how fast someone's able to run off of a pin down screen and shoot it. So you could look at sure. velo- the shooting percentage per velocity of movement. So if they're an actively good screen, because when you think about getting open, you either get open because you've created space off a down screen because the screen created space or you physically by sprinting and misdirecting created space. So in sure. theory you can only create so much space with a screen because a screen is a finite effort versus there's theoretically infinite amount of space you could create off of speed. We just ran faster and faster than the opponent. But just running really fast is hard because you hard to shoot off of it. So a quality to get more open if the screens aren't better is to actually shoot at a higher speed, which is why someone like JJ Redick was awesome because he could shoot at a really high pace. And so you look at their ability, their percentage of shooting per velocity, you could essentially look at. And there's going to be a threshold probably at which the movement becomes so fast that they no longer can make it at a stable percentage, let's say 38%. Mm -hmm. And then you could then theoretically get them better because now they can shoot 10 miles per hour off of a down screen and shoot that. But then Mm -hmm. people don't like that because the sports science guys start to talk about skills and the skills guys don't like it because then they're held objectively to... Is he actually sure. getting better? Because right now the whole NBA model is, I hope he get better. Like no one has yeah. any definition to anything. Right. Sure. And it's just it's almost success by default. And right. It's very frustrating as or
1: success can... in spite of your efforts. You might have been working so hard on something, and they accidentally got results somewhere else, and you're like, oh, yep, we're gonna claim that. And it's yeah, like Well, it's really... now you're gonna do a bunch of work because you thought that was the thing that got you success now now you're going to repeat that with a bunch of other athletes and it's not going to work out
0: yeah it's i think it's i think basketball is lazy i think lazy analytics i think it's all output analytics they want to look at field goal percentage they want to look at effective Mm. field goal percentage and they've gone the baseball route initially baseball just had these very advanced metrics which worked pretty well but then people started to understand why these advanced metrics occurred was it swing velocity rotational velocity spin rates on a pitch and then you start to look Mm -hmm. at what creates a spin rate and so like if you want to have a ball that moves a lot you have a high spin rate high rpms Mm -hmm. but then you could have like they've done things where they do motion tracking on the arm and the deviation of arm slot per pitch and so if you throw every single pitch out of the same arm slot it's much harder for the baseball player the hitter to differentiate it and so in the same way that you could begin to look at um Spin rates on a basketball. If someone has a consistent spin rate on their follow through, depending on whether or not they're getting closed out on the type of catch they're on, you can start mm-hmm. to break down these qualities. But man, I'm not going to give it all away because, hey, assistant GMs or GMs out there, you want to give me a ring? I'm happily open. Man, to we gotta, hey, we gotta to come call. up with our
1: own way to test, right? And then we go do these camps. And
0: I would not. That is my sauce to get in management.
1: <laughs> if I found
0: that, if I found that sauce, I'm holding that as. My ultimate goal—I want to be a, a, a yeah. This is a pipe dream, assistant GM,
1: because I want to help. No, not merge. a pipe dream, man. That that could actually happen with with what you know, man. I, I think wanna... that's a good way to. I think that's a good way to look at it, though. Like, because I to me, I struggle too. Is like you could come up with challenges, like, hey, uh, we're gonna shoot five at every spot, and uh, I want you to shoot at least seventy percent. If you hit seventy percent, then we can go on the move, right? And that that might be like a little baseline test, but do I really know? I have no idea. But it's, and ma- it's...
0: it's a. I don't want to cut you off. Sorry. No, you're fine. It's a management issue, right? So you're a skills sure. trainer. Mm-hmm. And if you work with an athlete in the professional setting, the GM picked that person. So like, what do you want me to do with him? Like you picked,
1: right? Him. Like, right. don't,
0: don't send him to me. And then I pick the skills. Like, why did you draft him? You obviously had some, purpose,
1: what'd you see in them? Sure.
0: Quantifiably that you drafted him. And then you had a value map as to how this person can help your team. I'm a mm. resource. And if one of the values is, ball handling under pressure with physicality that they can improve and improve their value, then I can work on that. But what happens right now is they basically get a player, which you can think of as a giant data set of information. They hand it to the skills coach and say, Hey, tell me how it's useful. And then you're yeah, like, well, sure. what, what do you want with this? You just yeah. hand me a giant piece of clay. You want me to make a stat mar, you know What kind of marble statue do you want me to make? And so yep. the fact that the GM isn't, and this is, Again, I'm not in maybe organizations are doing this, but from my belief, I don't think it's this defined, there should be someone who sits there with the GM and gives appraisal of every player from a physical, technical, tactical standpoint to understand a value map. So then you can utilize your resources from your uh, skills coach to your strength Mm -hmm. coach, and then audit the internal process as to how effective you actually are at developing those skills that would improve his value map. And from a a management of an economy standpoint of like trying to manage value, it's kind of butchered in my opinion.
1: You know, that's so interesting because I'm a huge Timberwolves fan. I grew up in Minnesota, love everything about the Timberwolves. Um, There's a better, I forget what the analytics say or the number is, but basically our second unit with Anthony Edwards performs better than our first unit of these 25 plus million dollar players. And I have to assume that some of the things that we're talking about has a factor in that with the personnel choices that we've made, um, not even just this year, but just all time with the Timberwolves, because uh, I've I've you know watched plenty of years of bad basketball there. So um, that might be a whole other topic, right? Like even looking at some teams like the Timberwolves, like why does this not work, right? And what maybe it's the playing styles, maybe it's the, it's the strength and weaknesses of a lot of the players and things like that. But yeah, that could be a whole other pod, I think.
0: Well, we'll we'll save that for another time. Uh, we'll wrap it up here. Um, yep. Thank you, Shane, as always. Uh, I don't know if you yeah. have any questions. some
1: gems in there, man. Ball handling gems in there, shooting gems. Again, another Ball great one. Ball handling doesn't exist. <laughs> That's a hot take. That's a hot take. Watch that pop up on, on
0: uh, Sports Center or something like that. I wonder what's going to happen with that one. I right, appreciate you guys. Take care, and Joe, as always. Peace out.